0: Futurized goes beneath the trends to track the underlying forces of disruption in technology, policy, business models, social dynamics, and the environment. I'm your host, Trun Arne Unheim, futurist and author. In episode 63 of the podcast, the topic is hunting for emerging tech. Our guest is Sean Vanderpool, CEO and founder of Il Lupo and Empire, and avid hunter of emerging technology to commercialize. In this conversation, we talk about how difficult it is for our educational system to recognize and adapt to individual exceptional abilities. We discuss the massive potential of hemp, the vast energy potential of a new five-phase engine, and briefly cover an emerging opportunity to extract water directly from air humidity. Each technology's Vanderpool has dug up from under a rock and not at universities, and is now exploiting. A word from one of our key partners. The Ritosa Summit is the leading family office conference, the largest and most influential gathering of family wealth, representing US $4.5 trillion and some 1,000 family offices. Throughout the year, summits are held in Monte Carlo, Monaco, Dubai, UAE, and Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, and with virtual keynote panels keeping the community connected in between. Sean, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, it's a pleasure to be here. Sean, you know, we had just met and I have been impressed with so many of the endeavors that you have shared with me so far. I wanted um, maybe to, to start a little bit with, with you. You have a, an interesting background and uh, you are a man of mystery. Tell me a little bit about what one or two things got you where you are today, and we'll, we'll explore what, what that is all about. What You know, what is it that, in your background, that puts you on this journey? Um, that's an interesting question. Um,
1: I'll delve into uh, my personal life a little bit, which I generally don't tend to do. Um, I had legal issues when I was 19 years old. Um, I had a felony. I ended up serving time in a penitentiary within the United States for trafficking marijuana. From that point, um, it was very difficult to get a job at a normal nine to five. Um, I ended up becoming an entrepreneur. I started a construction company, worked for the United States Army Corps of Engineers, Um, and kind of advanced my way up. Uh, Three businesses later, I end up in Dubai at a trade show called The Big Five. Uh, From there, I met some very influential people within the Middle East, liked what I was doing. Um, I was basically then brought in under a large corporation here and mentored for five years. Ended up really enjoying Dubai, uh, Middle Eastern culture, the GCC area and ended up staying here Hmm. and continue to come back here to this day for business. Hmm.
0: Well, well, thanks for sharing that. You told me something else about your background, which I found, you know, it's, I guess, not atypical, but you said something about school or earlier, you know, uh, in grade school, not being particularly enjoyable. Tell me about your your early years, because you've been precocious and sort of, I guess, you were uh, a little bored extremely bored in
1: school. Um, I had a lot of issues during school, elementary, um, junior high. When I was in school, they didn't have aptitude testing, so they didn't know I was smarter than most of the professors in the colleges in my town. Um, When I was in ninth grade, I was IQ tested at 176. At that point in time, I left school. But it was a little too late. Like they could have maybe discovered that slightly earlier. It would have been nice. I wouldn't have uh, faced so many issues um, if we had the proper identification back then. Um, they said that I had ADD, ADHD. They tried to say I had medical problems. and I didn't have any problems. I was just smarter than my teachers.
0: Well, of course. I mean, you, know, you were in the wrong place. You, you shouldn't have been, uh, you know, just you know, in, in the group with everyone. You weren't challenged at all, it seems.
1: I wasn't. And unfortunately, it created behavioral issues when I was younger. Um, And it was just, they were at that point in time, like I said, it was a medical issue rather than a Mm. school issue. They Mm. didn't seem to want to take the blame for their education system. Mm.
0: But let's fast forward a little bit, because like you said, you have kind of come out of a bored uh, teenager state into something very, very interesting. Tell me, uh, maybe let's jump to uh, the company that you are most excited about right now. Let's, let's start with that one. You, you had one here at the summit where you were demonstrating some very exciting energy technology. Give, give us a little rundown of what this is and what it could lead to if it succeeds in the market. Sure. Um, so I
1: started off with a company before this, um, Hempire Incorporated, um, doing industrial hemp and industrial hemp research. This led me into a technology company where we're using hemp for graphene batteries, um, hemp carbon fiber. So what the, what the point of the new R&D company is is if we're going to bring electric vehicles into the market and claim that they're better than combustion engines, we need to actually make that claim be true. Um, plugging a car into the grid we're still using dinosaur fuels to charge the car, even though there's no emissions. Uh, lithium ion, there's one maybe two companies in the world that can recycle it, and the process is so slow that it's just creating more waste than what the electric vehicle is actually doing good for our environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so the company that I have is Il Lupo, uh, Italian for the wolf, and. We focus on true sustainability, true green, and it's gotta be reliable. Mm-hmm. So the focus that we've taken is, we're gonna start off with the electric vehicle, whether it's a road vehicle or an air vehicle, and usher in this new wave of, of technology where people feel safe getting into an electric vehicle. Um, there's a lot of issue now Uh, Many car manufacturers within the US have been sued for radiation poisoning within their electric vehicles. This has scared a lot of people. The other problem is there's no range in these vehicles. Um, For transportation, a few hundred miles doesn't do transportation people any good. Maybe your average inner city commuter, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. But if we really wanna make an impact, it's gotta be the big trucks, the big ships, the airplanes in the sky. Those are our problems. It's not the the mom that drives her kids to school. It's not the dad that has a job that's eight, ten miles from his house. Mm-hmm. Those are not our targets. Our targets are the bigger
0: problems in in uh, in the world right now mm. and And how does your your engine address that? i I did see the demo,, uh, but for the benefit of those who who didn't. I mean, it's um, it's an engine with a throughput and an energy efficiency that, that m- blows existing uh, electric uh, vehicle engines uh, out of the ballpark. How, how is this achieved, and how did you discover this technology, and sort of what role have you, have you had? Did you, you, you actually partnered with some entrepreneurs and found this technology, or you've been involved from the beginning? Honestly, dumb luck. <laughs> um, I, I have two
1: other technologies that... Are a great concept, but the inner workings were not up to my standard. Um, Basically, went out on a hunt for, quote-unquote, the guts of the machines. Mm -hmm. Um, Ended up finding two gentlemen, and they have a small company. And this technology was built between two guys, not a large corporation, not billions of dollars in research, two guys in a garage. Yeah, it's a... A microsoft story it's a facebook story mm. um these gentlemen have put a lot of time and dedication into realizing that the motor that nikola tesla invented 133 years ago is not what we're supposed to be using for revolutionary technology nikola tesla was an amazing inventor but he wasn't he couldn't predict the future mm. he couldn't see that eventually these motors would be placed into a car So the typical three-phase motor that we have, it's not for vehicles. If you lose one phase in a three-phase motor, the whole motor's gone, and you're sitting alongside of the road. That means we can't put it in aerospace Mm -hmm. because of the multiple redundant systems needed by the FAA. And we'd rather not put it in a ship because you get stuck in the middle of the ocean with no power, you're pretty much out of luck. What we've done is we've created a five-phase motor This allows us to produce more power with less heat. We're breaking down, let's say, instead of 33% of the current coming out of each wire, we have 20%. This allows less heat. It allows us to go into aerospace because we have redundant systems now. Mm -hmm. We can lose two of our phases. We still have 40% of the power from the motor, which will allow you to. Get safely to the ground, um,
0: or in a vehicle, get you safely back home. So, I mean, it's amazing scope. You, so, this is not your traditional engine that you're going to put in a vehicle. You you really have the vision that this engine could power drivetrains for for all kinds of of transportation. That's correct. the The five phase
1: allows us to generate significantly more power mm-hmm. in the same size motor. Yeah or we can shrink the motor and produce the same size power as our competitors motors Mm -hmm. Um, but an 18 percent difference
0: in our size versus power density Hmm. well you know traditionally when one thinks of uh, engines and there aren't that many new engines out there i know because i've talked to others who have come on my podcast with various new engines that you know um the engine technology moves very slowly and the automotive industry is reluctant to take on new things. I think that's fair to say. I would agree. Right? How are you going to succeed with this and what is your strategy to, uh, you know, get into this market? And uh, you told me a little bit about this, but you, you're big on sort of licensing as opposed to sort of thinking of doing everything from scratch. You know, there there is another inventor out there who You know, he uh, chooses to to build technologies from scratch and run the whole whole chain, and he seems fairly successful at the moment. You're choosing a different approach. Why is that?
1: Um, It's a multitude of reasons, actually. Um, What my company is good at is research and development. Mm -hmm. I have scientists, um, physicists. They're not car builders. They're technology people. I don't have experience in manufacturing mm-hmm. and it's not at this point something that i would be willing to delve into um i feel it's easier to to build it and give it to the professionals mm-hmm. um you know the car companies they're already set up for manufacturing they already have the
0: employees um, everything's done for them All's And i, I guess do... the other thing that makes sense is it seems well you as far as you were you were telling me this engine can actually go into um, for instance, a car without enormous changes. Is that the idea you, you think it's fairly easy to integrate in an existing, uh, car or, or what would they have to do? The integration is actually a lot
1: easier. Yeah. Um, again, the wires are smaller, mm-hmm. so it gives them much more diverse areas to where they can run these wires. Mm-hmm. My wires bend much easily or much more easily than, you know, a typical three phase. Mm-hmm. Um, So the, and again, for the yachting industry as well, the reason electric vehicle, you know, they're not electric vehicles yet is because wires need to be ran through these ships. The wires in a three-phase motor are way too big. Mm. They are almost unbendable. Mm. And if they do bend them to
0: the point where they can run them through a typical ship, you're breaking current. Mm. Got it. What has your experience been so far? Where have you shown this motor, as uh, apart from at this event? How, how, you know, how how many how much feedback have you gotten on this? Good, good feedback or bad feedback? Oh, any feedback. <laughs> I'm just curious because, as I said, you know, I, I know the space, and it's not something that's easy to bring to market. I have very angry car makers right now, um, and they're angry
1: because they're scared. They went the wrong direction. Right? They went instead of trying to fix the power um, drive system, they, well, pretty much every car maker has gone to the battery. They all think the battery's the problem. Mm -hmm. They're trying to get a more efficient battery, but when you have a dinosaur in front of it on a treadmill, it's not efficient. So what they're trying to do is put two dinosaurs on a treadmill, and they Mm -hmm. think that's better. So what that's called is a parallel three-phase, two three-phase motors next to each other. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: That's a lot of power that's a lot of current, and it's dangerous amounts of heat. Mm -hmm. None of that you want in your vehicle. Mm -hmm. Um, We decided to go from the other direction. We wanted to make the motor efficient. We wanted the controller to be efficient. We wanted our cooling system to be efficient. Um, There's no reason that lithium-ion even needs to be used. Mm. That's just for lack of a better term, a lazy man's way of doing it because that's the technology that's there. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to go the other direction. Um, that's the unfortunate part about the corporate world is they have stakeholders mm-hmm. and they can't take a chance and maybe go the direction that I did because if they fail, you have a lot of angry people. <clears throat> I'm a private company, I'm the CEO, and I have two board members. It's pretty easily done when we want to do something, we make a decision and it's done. Mm-hmm. Right or wrong, we don't have stakeholders. Mm-hmm. So we went the other direction.
0: But, okay, so you went the other direction, but you are looking for licensing, so you you have to eventually strike a deal, uh, presumably starting with the automotive sector. Is that Am I right? I mean, they, they for all of what we've just said, they still are the, the lowest hanging fr- fruit for an engine. It, it is. Yeah. Um, I've had
1: some very large offers from these companies. Um, the issue that I have is with the licensing, one of the companies, um, we won't
0: mention names,
1: but sure. what they would do is license it and then shelf it. They don't want to use it.
0: Well, I was going to ask you because yes, in my experience, right. It's, uh, this type of innovation may not be wanted at this point. Point in history for some of these people. It's definitely not. You have um, they'd like to extract more of, of the other engines they have in you know in, in store right now. What they're looking to do is they've spent tens
1: of billions of dollars going the other direction. Right. They can't really now go, sorry stakeholders, sorry investors, we went the wrong direction. Now we have to pay this guy and his you know twelve person company billions of dollars because we didn't do it right. Yeah,
0: that's not
1: what a corporation is going to do.
0: I'm curious though in that in that situation why you then at the end of the day don't want to say hey you know screw that I'm I'm going to build this thing on my own but you still you're you're faithful that you can strike a deal with some of these people and have some guarantees that it will be built because presuming I presume that you really want to see this built you're not just. It's not just a you know a money play for you. You you really got you you fell in love with this technology to the extent that you at least you want to see it in production someday. Correct. Um, I've got a strategic
1: partner that I was lucky enough to to form here at uh, the Rotosa event. This strategic partner has entry. Um, they own controlling shares of some of the very large car makers. Yep. So. They see the future, mm-hmm. maybe the car maker doesn't, but these investors and the, the sovereign wealth funds that own a majority of these companies, they don't really have a choice. The strategic partner that I've chosen is um, on the board of four different very large companies. That's convenient. And he has controlling interest. Yeah. So he wants it out there. He sees the same thing that I do. Mm -hmm. so having a strategic partner that you know has the clout Mm -hmm. and the ability to say i understand we've spent billions going the wrong direction Mm -hmm. but let's stop the bleeding of this let's spend the money this guy has the answer Mm -hmm. and for the next decade at least the electric vehicle market is theirs
0: Mm -hmm. solely talk to me uh, a little bit about why you are here indeed at this summit because, like you pointed out, you're a 12-person company. You, you are an outsider. You know, you may be smart and you may have found this engine. It may actually be as great as you say and you may have the proof points, but it, we all know how difficult it is to take anything to market. How, how? Why did you choose to go this route? And it seems like it might have worked out for you, you know, this time on this end, but tell me about your path to you know, I guess from sort of distraught teenager to actually making this leap uh, at this juncture in your sort of business life and then finding this back road into these corporations. A lot of people wouldn't necessarily have even had the thinking and the foresight to kind of go go back and go to the investors of the companies and then find the way in that way as one avenue. I know that's not the only one you pursued, but tell me about this strategy that you you have here and what it actually means to be at an event like this and i mean i'm assuming it doesn't always work out for people right i mean the 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 folks we've met here they have they are smart they have their own strategic interests at at heart and they must meet thousands of inventors so how is it that you thought that this was gonna work out for you
1: um i've attended several of the the Rotosa family events and they're all amazing. Um, they do a wonderful job. The people that come here, the family offices, um, and the people that are they're seeking investment. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually, I'm going to partner with somebody seeking investment and bring them into my company because the technology that they have matches my vision as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a he's a motor designer, he's a physicist, uh, just an amazing gentleman. Mm. Um, But I guess to answer your question, it would be to get a product like this out, you have to go to an event like this because these are the people that make the decisions in the world. Um, The family offices that that come to this, they're very, very powerful. Um, My company's not one of those that walks into, let's say, you know, one of the German auto manufacturers and goes, Hey, I have this great motor. Do you guys want to try this out? Mm -hmm. It's probably not going to work out real well, even if I can show them that it's far superior to what they're using. Um, so this event allows me to showcase it to the people that own controlling interests in these automotive groups. Um, I can sit down with them. Mm-hmm. They will listen. I can give them the understanding of this is why, this is how, you know, this is who. Um, so these events are really good for that. You know, it's it's more of opening people's minds mm-hmm. that would never know what this is. We don't operate on the same level, mm-hmm. um, so they would never have known about this without events like this. Mm-hmm.
0: You have had an interesting journey, and you're 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 kind of an incognito person uh, by design. I understand. Correct. Tell me about that. Was that all? You know, from from what you told me earlier, that you, you were sort of set on a path, and you said, "Look, I, I don't. You know, things happen in my you know in my youth, and I, and I want to be now more more private." Or what? What is the advantage, I guess? Of and 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 how do, does one even do what you're doing, which is stay incognito? I Think it's really difficult in this day and age not to be uh you know on the internet you know so there's sort of two approaches There are really only two approaches either you sort of you go for this marketing and and you try to really develop a presence and and you know many of us struggle to do so and be visible and and you know get an impact that way and get followers and and thus perhaps the hope is that some customers will come to us that way uh you have chosen a diametrically opposed approach <laughs> where you're saying, well, you told me, you know, it's sort of a scrubbed approach. You don't really want people to know too much or, or at least just make assumptions, I guess, about you from strange little stories on the internet. Well, where does that, where does that lead you and why did you choose that approach?
1: I, have, I do disruptive technology. Um, and a lot of times you can make rich people powerful people, political people, very angry. Um, When you bring a technology from your small 12 person company and you're beating companies that are worth hundreds of billions of dollars, investors don't like that. Um, Truly it's for my own safety and my family's safety. Mm -hmm. Um, I stay off the radar, I don't do social media. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't advertise. Mm -hmm. I, um, I take that approach for a multitude of reasons. One, um, the technologies that I have, I know are the best. Mm -hmm. I don't need to market them. I need to go see the correct decision makers and not waste my time and everybody else in between. Mm -hmm. Um, There's not really a reason to be in the spotlight. Mm -hmm. I don't do this to be in the spotlight. I do this to better the world that we live in. Um, I don't have children, so it's not one of those. I'm trying to leave the, the world a better place for my children. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to leave the world a better place for everybody else's children. Um, that's the path that, that I've taken, and yeah, it's a little different from, from everybody else's, but this works very, very well for me.
0: Yeah, I don't judge, I was, very, I was just more intrigued and curious. And, and sort of moving moving on from, from that sort of angle of things, what as you're looking into the next decade, which, which I try to do here with my guests, what, what do you see? So you're heavily into disruptive technologies. We've talked now in, in depth about one of them, but I know you are here and you talked also uh, quite a bit about hemp and the transformative power of that sort of natural element of things. Um, but I'm sure you have other things in store and other ideas and other things coming to market. What, what are some of the things that is going to happen this decade that you, you think is truly disruptive, whether it's technology or biological related or other breakthroughs? Um, guide us a little bit on, on, on where you see us moving. I mean, it's an open question. It, it, it's a bit open question. Um,
1: I see, at least from my side and what I'm going to do, um, that's all I can speak on. What I want to do and what I see is, now that the five phase motor, the controller, our cooling system is done, this allows me to take other inventions basically that I've shelved Mm -hmm. because they just didn't have the performance that I wanted out of them. Great inventions, Mm -hmm. just not done yet. Mm -hmm. Now I can bring water any place in the world. I can pull out of the Arabian Peninsula six to 8,000 liters a day out of the thin air. No more desalination plants, no high power, you know, running these desalination plants. And it's actually good water. Um,
0: And that's, again, for some other technology that you have found. Yeah. So is your approach generally, even though, you know, you're a smart person, you don't sit there and try to invent technologies yourself. Your approach is to dig and find stuff under rocks that other people haven't really seen and then sort of... Them. Is them. am I reading you correctly? Correct, um, a lot of people look
1: at inventors like they're crazy. Maybe I'm a little crazy too, that's why I understand these people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm one that disruptive technology, it's it's a risk. Mm-hmm. Um, many investors don't like risk. Mm-hmm. The way I look at it is things will never change unless we take a risk to go do something out of the norm. Mm-hmm. So almost everything I do, is very risky and extremely abnormal, mm-hmm. especially in technology. Hmm.
0: Um, well, let's talk more about your water technology, but I was just curious, and I don't mean a pro, but you know, you seem to already have had some success. I'm assuming this electric motor, which is a new thing, that's not your first. So you've, you've done other things that are p- perhaps similarly under the radar, but what are some of the things that you've done? And, you know, throughout this, this career, other things that we may know, or we may not know, Uh, you know, what what are some of the other things you'd want want to share with us? What what are the areas of the other emerging technologies where you have been involved?
1: Um, Hemp is actually the biggest one um, up until the electric motor. Mm -hmm. And what I do is I go into countries, um, states, whatnot, and I help people, villagers, farmers, and I educate them on The hemp process. Mm -hmm. Um, Hemp does not flower. You cannot smoke hemp. Hemp is, basically looks like a field of bamboo. It's about six meters tall um, and has seed on it. Mm -hmm. So when people think of hemp, they're thinking of CBD, you know, the smokable stuff. That's not what I do. Mm -hmm. That's a marijuana hybrid. Mm True hemp doesn't flower. Never has, never will. Um, so I've taken a lot of my technology from hemp, Mm -hmm. um, it's a very diverse plant. We can pretty much plant it anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. It's one of the best food sources that we have. Um, I was a contractor for many years. So now I do hempcrete housing, significantly cheaper for. I don't want to say third world countries, but more of an undeveloped country, I guess. Um, it allows them to be able to build a home that is natural catastrophe resistant. Um, tornadoes, hurricanes, hempcrete's cheaper, it's safer, and it's stronger. Hmm. This also allows these people to have a food source. They can have the textiles. Um It remediates the soil as it grows. So this, that's the, that is to me the most important technology that I have. And it's not even a technology, it's more of of what I'm doing with it, the processes that I'm doing with it.
0: Why, why has it taken so long for uh, the understanding of the opportunities of this particular plant to, to come to fore? What, you know, is it this association with CBD and marijuana, which, by the way, also obviously has, you know, has, has kind of now come into the market in a different way. But um, what is it about humanity that makes us underestimate the things that are straight in our faith?
1: Big corporations have turned us off from hemp um the united states was founded growing hemp big corporations wanted it illegal because they couldn't make the amount of money off of hemp that they could off of trees Mm. hemp does everything they can do textiles they can do paper it's almost limitless what you can do with hemp if you can do it with a tree or cotton Mm -hmm. you can replace it with hemp and it grows fast too right yeah, three months, three to four months, depending on, on the strain and, and geographical location. But it's a, a very rapid growing crop. I'm almost, almost like bamboo. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big, big fan of bamboo as well. There's some things that hemp can't do. Mm-hmm. And for that, we have bamboo.
0: Okay. All right. So from hemp to electric motors to water that's an interesting path I'm very curious about this water but but you haven't sort of started go- going into the limelight or into your secret limelight with with the water things yet or is it kind of so that's going to come now or if you are lucky enough to get this electric motor now on the on the grid then your next project is, is in water tell us about What is it with water that fascinates you? I mean, obviously, it it is one of the next big challenges for humanity. Uh, Clean water is uh, a massive, massive challenge. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, There are many options out there for us. Desalination is sort of a fairly obvious idea, right? There's a lot of salty water out there. But you think that's not the answer? It's not the answer. No. Um, A
1: desalination plant to me is like a nuclear power plant. Mm -hmm they're fantastic when you're looking at it from the outside, but when you truly get down to the nuts and bolts of desalination plants or nuclear power plants, it ends up that they're not really that great. Mm -hmm. Um, desalination plants, the the water to me is not good enough to drink. Mm -hmm. Um, it's okay. You know, it's, it'll pass what, what the government say is a safe level, but we all know that we have zero filters and Brita filters, and doesn't really matter what the government's telling us. It's what's this water taste like? Mm-hmm. Um, desalination plants just can't do it. Right. And Mother there's no, there's no better source of water than Mother Nature herself. Mm-hmm. Anybody that's been in <clears throat> the GCC or yeah, Southern United States, Africa, Humidity. Humidity is water. Humidity is clean water. Humidity is always there. We can pull that humidity and turn it into pure drinking water in a very simple process. A machine the size of my pickup truck will create 8,000 liters a day of pure, clean drinking water.
0: And it takes very little power to do so. It's
1: a natural technology.
0: And... I don't know how much you're prepared to talk about this, but where, where did you find this particular solution? Was that again under a rock? Under a rock. Um, happened to stumble across
1: a gentleman at a technology conference, and he just he wanted to take the, I need to get out there, I need to market this, I need to make it big. Sometimes that scares an investor, mm-hmm. because yeah, you have a great technology, why are you here looking for money from investors if your technology is that great? Mm-hmm. Sometimes that backfires for these guys. And they're not businessmen, they're very
0: intelligent inventors. Mm -hmm. They're good at what they do. I'm good at what I do. So you're good at what you do, but you're bypassing how you're actually convincing all these fantastic inventors. That's not easy because I've met a lot of inventors. And uh, inventors have personalities and there's a reason why they have chosen their approaches. (laughs) You must be really good at convincing. Money does that. Um, well, come on, there's more than that. I mean, you made their best, made them the best offer, you think? I do. Um, I don't build
1: corporations. I build family companies. Mm-hmm. When you work with Empire, Il Lupo, it's family. Mm-hmm. These are small companies, and I do that for a reason. I hire the best in the world, and I want everybody to feel like if they ever have a problem, even if it's at home with their family, say you can't make a bill, mm-hmm. I want you to feel comfortable enough with working with my companies and myself that you could come to me and go, hey, I'm in a real problem here. Can you help? And I'm happy to give you the shirt off my back. Mm-hmm. Um, I make them feel like they're a part of something rather than, hey, I'm here to steal your technology and mm-hmm. run you out the door these gentlemen and ladies are very intelligent. Mm -hmm. I want the technologies that they have, but I also want to retain the brain. I want to keep them inventing. Mm -hmm. I want to keep them happy. I'll build them their dream lab. I'll give them their dream job. I've tripled engineer salaries Mm -hmm. to make them happy. Mm -hmm. A happy mind is a creative mind. Mm -hmm. And creative minds make me a lot of money.
0: So this is interesting. You, you think that the inventors that you have partnered with, they're gonna keep inventing with you and do, do more, even more and in, in other directions. So This is like you're building a roster, you're building kind of a talent pool, essentially.
1: Correct. I, uh, yeah. They call it the golden handcuffs. <laughs> right. uh, I, I treat them so well yeah. that they truly don't want to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, when they bring me a new patent, a new idea, I take it to market they now have another percentage of the company. So they are earning percentages of the company every invention that they give me along with their massive salaries. Mm -hmm. It's a huge incentive for them to keep going. Some of my guys, they don't even come to an office. They have a basement lab. They don't want to leave it. They're a recluse. I leave them alone and let them do it. What do you need from me? Do you need me to pay your power bill? Do you need me to put machines in your basement for you? What do you need from my company to help you work? Mm -hmm. We do things a little out of the box. I make my guys happy. It's not what makes my investors happy because I don't have any. It's what we want to do Mm. as a group. Um, Any quote unquote unquote investors that I do have, they're more strategic partners. Mm -hmm. It's not so much that they're looking for a big payout they want to be a part of something bigger too Mm. so money's great but as far as why we do this all of us are already very wealthy Mm -hmm. we don't need to do
0: this this is more of philanthropy for us that just makes money Mm. any advice to other entrepreneurs in terms of the path i mean would you advise the path that you've taken is there is there uh is there a viable market in in keep I, i met a few people that go into universities, for instance, looking for, for innovation. And, and then they successfully, many of them, have partnered with uh, you know, smart inventors, uh, mostly from universities. I guess it's for, for de-risking purposes. You, know, you go into a known university, you kind of have a sense that it's going to be of a certain level. And if you're lucky, you find something and you, you partner and you, you start companies with them. Is that, is that a viable approach or, or does it take so much talent to spot talent, that it's not really something you can just set out and start doing? In the field that I'm in, um, I
1: really wouldn't advise (laughs) an entrepreneur to go out and do what I do. Um, There are much safer fields to go into than science and technology. Um, Anybody that is a physics person knows Dr. Feynman. Feynman was an amazing scientist. I've broken three of Feynman's laws that he said could never be done. We're doing it. I love the college professors. Don't get me wrong, but they're book smart. Mm -hmm. I don't need book smarts. I want you to think outside the box. And when you're trained academically Mm -hmm. rather than school of hard knocks, let's say, they all think the same and that's not what we need most of the people that i find are not professors mm-hmm. they are not in schools mm-hmm. i have a couple on staff mm-hmm. um, don't get me wrong but most of the people are nikola teslas hmm.
0: so let's talk about those nikola teslas for a while how how have they gotten to that extraordinary level how, what is your best guess as to the people that you've partnered with how is it that got, they got to this extraordinary level of creativity and sort of poise to, to be able to innovate and break Feynman's laws and other laws of, of physics that, of course, they're not really laws. They're just sort of principles mm-hmm. and, and, and this and that. They're not laws of nature because if they were, then you couldn't break them. Uh, how is it – what is the training for, a, for an inventor these days? What is it that you look for? Drive. Passion. That's it. That's all I want to see in somebody.
1: I know you're smart or I wouldn't be talking to you. I want to see a sparkle in your eye when you talk about what you're doing and what it's going to do for a consumer or or whatever your product is. Mm -hmm. I've got to see the passion behind it or I don't get passionate and I don't go throw money at it. I don't go get strategic partnerships. Passion and drive. Mm -hmm. That's what I want to see out of you. And that gives me the passion to want to bring you aboard and support whatever this crazy invention (laughs) may be. Um, But yeah, real simple. I don't care what your academics are. Um, I don't have a high school diploma. I don't have a college degree. That stuff means very little to me. In fact, I prefer to hire people that don't have those.
0: Well, it frees you up to, to realize the limitations, but also perhaps to, to kind of have a little, uh, you know, to have a little more than healthy skepticism to, to what those <laughs> diplomas can do for you. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't knock academia at all. It
1: has its place, yeah. just not with me. Yeah. Um, I was fortunate enough to be given a, an extremely high IQ.
0: Um, so never- and what does that give you? So IQ, right, is also just measured on a scale and it's hard, you know, it's hard to measure. But, but, but the point is, what does that do to you, you know, when, when you're finding these people with grit? Couldn't you find people with grit without high intelligence? Or is it actually really difficult to truly? Because I mean, grit, right? How, how is that even measured? I mean, this is slightly mysterious.
1: It is. I mean, it
0: sounds easy when you say it, but I know it's not. I, I mean, I consider myself perhaps a little over-average in distinguishing w- smart people from others, you know, beyond their degrees myself, but, but I wouldn't actually even know how to explain how I make that determination. How do you make that determination? When I look
1: at, let's say, a technology that somebody has... Yep. There's a process. Um, Some people understand what I'm talking about. In fact, one out of probably a million will understand this. Mm -hmm. My mind forms, shapes, pictures, and colors Mm -hmm. when things seem to fit in the puzzle that I have. Mm -hmm. I can't explain how it happens. It's a natural gift from a more powerful creator than, than myself, Mm -hmm. um, it's really tough for me to explain. It's a natural occurrence. Um, algorithms are created in my head Mm -hmm. for risk and loss. And I can't explain to you. It's just a gift that I have and I wish I could help other entrepreneurs and, and other people out there with how I do this more specific. I can't, it's a natural thing that my mind
0: just does and you gave us some clues about your mind early on and how schooling of course didn't help it but how was this path was it fairly instant from you know you were measured as having high iq that that triggered something in you where you realized oh wait a second it was not me all along there wasn't something wrong with me did that immediately free you up to Mm. start on this path did you kind of almost like walk out of that test and say oh, okay, like everything I thought was actually true. I am not crazy. And then, or, or was there more of like a, a decade where you kind of were maturing into this, into what you are now, which is, you know, an astute sort of observer of of inventions and, 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 and you know, also with a commercial mindset. Mm-hmm. There must have been a little bit of a journey there for you.
1: Very little. No? Nah, very little. Um, yeah. Once I knew that it wasn't me that was the problem, mm-hmm. it was the education system. Yeah. It was almost like The Matrix, whether you take the red pill or the blue pill. Yeah. Well, I decided to, uh, you know, take the red pill. Yeah. I went off and did my own thing, yeah. got outside the box, and I just started teaching myself. Um, I read four to five physics papers every single day. Why? Because I just like to learn. Mm-hmm. I, it's, I've created an education system for myself. What is useful to me? What year the Civil War was, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I'm not a history teacher, I don't do anything with history. So I've dedicated the time that, when I should have been in school, learning typical curriculum, I went out and taught myself real world problem solving. Mm-hmm. What can I do to be a better person, be a better businessman, think you know this way, learn these things, I was. I taught myself to think outside the box. I learned what I wanted to learn based upon the path I
0: wanted to go. Not to push too much, but if you are reading physics papers, most of those papers are produced by academics in physics No, So you are using the system, you're just not in the system.
1: Correct. Um, I don't have the... I don't have that college education, so there's Well, you don't of... need their degrees, but I mean, you'd
0: agree with me. You are actually reading papers from mostly people who are in the system because that those are the people that get to write these papers. Correct. Mostly. mostly. So I, I take kind
1: of what they have with my outside-of-the-box thinking and go, right. okay, this man's research is doing this. Mm-hmm. How can I do something else with it? Sure. They were making hemp graphene in an undisclosed university. Um, and I said, Hey guys, how about we try this? Mm -hmm. And it, it scared them because I'm like, how do you know this? You don't, you don't even have a high school diploma. Yeah. Just try, trust me and try it. And now we have basically a self generating battery, uh, a power source per se. Um, But, yeah, I do use academia. Mm -hmm. I don't know all the terminology, so that is a lot of why I read these physics papers. So Mm -hmm. I'm speaking to these guys more on their
0: academia level Mm -hmm. rather than, like, you and I can sit here and talk. Sure. But but so it's not just physics. But you read physics papers. But you know clearly with electric vehicles and engines. So you you know you, you read widely, and, and the kinds of inventions and inventors you seek out, they are from all aspects of technology, right? everywhere. So they're like wherever you're not you're agnostic when it comes to where this technology comes from. What subjects these professors or individuals or whoever they are, uh, you know, if they are just you know in their basement, uh, you know, with their grit. <laughs> Uh, you don't really care where, where it came from. No. Right, I don't discriminate. Yeah, Technology and people, if it's good, we do it. Got it. So, any parting advice to people who are trying to track, uh, like myself and people here who listen on, on this podcast, we are all, I think, interested in emerging technology and where society is going. And one of the things that I feel is tricky is to, to crack this nut of, where do you go for insight? Because yes, universities and stuff is, is an answer for, for many people. The school system is the absolute easiest, least pass, path of resistance. Mm-hmm. But definitely, you know, whether you choose that or not, once you're out of the system, you're on your own a little bit. What is the best approach? Um, let, well, you, know, you have an extreme approach, of you know, under the rock and, uh, and stuff like that. What are some of the more traditional things? I mean, I don't know, information out there on the Internet. Where where exactly does one find information that is useful, that isn't just listing the the years of the Civil War, that actually truly can help you in your thought process? Where where do you find these things? Do you read newspapers? Do you read websites, (laughs) you know, zines? Do you read, uh, I mean, do you you go on Twitter? Where do you go and not go? I stay off
1: the... Internet as far as media, social media. Those are people's opinions. Mm -hmm. I don't care what your opinion is. I want a fact. Mm -hmm. Um, Science journals. Okay. Uh, Publications. That's all I will read. Mm -hmm. Those have to be reviewed by multiple academic peers and several other people before it's allowed to be a published paper. Mm -hmm. So what I'm reading in these published papers are it's real. It's not somebody's opinion of, oh, we want to do this, we want to try this, we think this, mm-hmm. you know, our political, our religious view is this. I respect everybody's views. Mm-hmm. Do I agree with them? I don't have to. I respect that, but I don't want it in my business. Mm-hmm. What I want to know is black and white and numbers. Those are the things that matter to me. Mm-hmm. Um, for the entrepreneurs that, that are emerging or struggling at this point, Put down the newspaper, stop watching TV, and go read something real that's not opinionated. That's the best advice I could ever give somebody. Stay off the TV. Close the computer. Read
0: a book. I want to end it here, it's good, it's good. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, this has been very insightful and I definitely wish you best of luck with these uh, wonderful inventions and I, I truly hope you, you will change the world with them. We're gonna try to. Thank you. Thank you, appreciate it. You have just listened to episode 63 of the Futurized Podcast with host Trond Narna Unheim, futurist and author. The topic was Hunting for Emerging Tech. Our guest was Sean Vanderpool, CEO and founder of e-Lupo and of Hempire, an avid hunter of emerging technology to commercialize. In this conversation, we talked about how difficult it is for our educational system to recognize and adapt to individual exceptional abilities. We discussed the massive potential of hemp, the vast energy potential of a new five-phase engine. and Briefly, we cover an emerging opportunity to extract water directly from air humidity. Each technology's Vanderpool has dug up from under a rock, and not at universities, and is now exploiting. My takeaway is that the future of emerging tech is, for all the hype around it, vastly underrated, given that it can be developed with such vastly improved efficiencies at such rapid pace. On the other hand, perhaps it takes a unique mind to identify and commercialize breakthrough tech. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at futurized.co or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. Futurized, preparing you to deal with disruption.